And so for a few moments this evening, I want to turn your attention to Lamentations chapter 3. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it's been abundantly helpful for me personally navigating different scenarios in life, this scenario. It helps us to direct our thoughts and our attention to the Lord. Let me just read a small portion of this chapter and then think about this for a moment. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. This wonderful text shows us four actions to embrace in light of the faithfulness of God when we are faced with tragedy. Four actions to embrace in light of the faithfulness of God when we are faced with tragedy. The first action that must be embraced is this, number one, to resign your heart to a humble posture, to resign your heart to a humble posture. Verse 20 says, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. When tragedy strikes, the first action that we must take is to humble ourselves before God. This type of humility is a humility which can only be produced by God alone. The natural inclination of our hearts as human beings is pride, it's self-reliance, it's seeking to understand, seeking to deal with things in our own strength. These are all mentalities that we are born with. Mentalities that our culture emphasizes. You can find it in and of yourself to, to deal with issues in life. Things like dependence, neediness, brokenness, 
Those are all characteristics that are looked down upon in our current world. In order for a person to come to the place where they will rely upon the faithfulness of God and therefore have hope, which is sure and anchored in the character of God, they must come face to face with humility. Humility must dominate their lives. And we see this. This is the point where Jeremiah has come to in our, our passage. You see, in the book of Lamentations, Chapter 3, verse 20 represents a turning point in these poems of complaint by the prophet who has just witnessed a horrifying, devastating destruction of both his people and his city. At this moment in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah has hit rock bottom. He's at the lowest point of his life. It's very likely that Lamentations was written while Jeremiah was sitting on a a high hill overlooking Jerusalem or what was Jerusalem and seeing its complete destruction when he penned these poems of lament. So he's there overlooking this city that he loved, this people that he loved that was being captured by the Babylonians, the city that was being rummaged and torched. And he begins to pen these poems of complaint, these laments. And it's at this point in these poems, the kind of the pinnacle of these poems, where he realizes that he and his people are absolutely dependent upon this God who has just poured out his wrath in an indescribable way upon his covenant people. He's looking at the destruction. He's processing the tragedy, if you will. And he hits this point in verse 20 where it says that his soul is bowed down within him. There's no doubt that Jeremiah knew the history of the people of Israel, he was one of their prophets. He was a prophet called by God to confront Israel in their sin, confront Judah. Israel had been called out by God, as you know, through Abraham, as God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And those people then went and ended up being captured there in Egypt and then were led into the wilderness by Moses, disobeying God along the way and 
receiving the due penalty for their disobedience and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In all that time, even in God's punishment of the nation, he was being gracious to them. He was reminding them in various ways, through various provisions, year after year, that he was their provider, that he was their God, that he was their all-sufficient king. And they get to the end, and Joshua takes over and leads them into the land of Canaan. Conquer Jericho and, and move forward, and God had made it abundantly clear that He was their king. That they did not need kings like the other nations needed kings. But they got there, and instead of destroying all of the people that they were called to destroy, because that was what God had determined. They left some of them around and they began to intermarry with them. And they began to take on their pagan ways. And at that point, they wanted a king. Yahweh had commanded Joshua to possess the land that was promised to them. And they were to do this by driving out and destroying everyone living in the land of Canaan. We know from Judges 1 through Judges 3 that Israel does not obey the command to possess and conquer. Their disobedience leads them to being neighbors with the Canaanites and ultimately to their sin cycle of idolatry. They ended up bowing their knees to Baal and turning away from God and their pride was seen in the fact that though they could do, they thought they could do things their own way apart from Yahweh's command. This cycle continued through the period of the judges. Their pride led them to want to be like other nations, to live under a king instead of allowing Yahweh to be their king. This ultimately caused a divided kingdom and wicked king after wicked king continued to lead God's covenant people astray. Throughout the period of the kings, God would raise up a righteous king every now and then to extend his mercy upon his people. Finally, God judged his covenant people as a means of discipline but also to preserve his glory from continuing to be maimed by his people. That is the background to this affliction that Yahweh brought on to this people by the hand of the Babylonians. This is what Jeremiah was sitting on that hillside observing and looking at. Was God dealing with these people? This is why the book of Lamentations was written. The majority of this book of poems is the prophet's complaint against Yahweh for the affliction that he and his people are in the midst of enduring. And throughout the complaint, descriptions of, of this affliction are given. Just looking at the immediate context of chapter 3 gives enough description to know how this prophet comes to this point of humility. He says, I'm a man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. The dark places he has made me to dwell like those who have been long dead. And he goes on 
over and over to talk about the affliction that has been brought on to him and his people because of their sin. These things are fresh on Jeremiah's mind. And he says there in verse 20, he says, my soul continually remembers it. Because Lamentations is written within just a few years after the actual invasion. It's right there in his mind. This weeping prophet is experiencing this turmoil firsthand. Humility exposes our absolute dependence upon God. This, this prophet was brought to humility by Yahweh so that, so that his hope in Yahweh could be revived. Isaiah 66.2 says, and this is Yahweh speaking, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And so Jeremiah in his completely humble state here in verse 20 begins to recall God's faithfulness in his life. This is where we need to find ourselves tonight. Humble before God. We sit here with a lot of questions. A lot of confusion. Frustration. Anger. And the reality is we need to take a moment in our hearts and ask the Lord to give us clarity. You see, humility brings clarity. It gives us clarity to, to be able to get past our emotions and our feelings and our own human opinions so that we can recall to our minds the truth that God wants us to know. And our minds are full of those things right now. And the prophet's mind was full of those things. And God brought him to a point of humility so that he could say, okay, Lord, help me see this with the eyes that you want me to see this with. Help me to process this the way I'm supposed to process this. And so we see that in the second action that we must embrace concerning God's faithfulness in the face of tragedy in verse 21 which is to recall to your mind the revealed truth. To recall to your mind the revealed truth. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. See, now that the prophet has been humbled by the affliction brought upon him by Yahweh, he will be able to see what results from dependence upon Yahweh, and that is hope. You don't want to miss that connection. It is your dependence, your faith, granted that God gives you, your faith in him and that then provides the basis for your hope in him, your trust in him, the, the greater vision you have of him, the greater your trust is going to be in him, which is then going to solidify your hope in him. That's what the prophet is talking about here. 
The word hope is used both here and in verse 24, and it has the idea of a patient endurance. It means, it means to tarry or to wait. It, it implies here that there is a, a worthy cause that is generating the endurance necessary to continue. So what has caused this prophet to be filled with hope? The answer comes to us in the first part of verse 21. If you notice the second half of the verse, it is completely dependent upon that first statement, which is seen by the word, therefore. This this endurance is based on what the prophet recalls to his mind. The word used right here for mind in the Hebrew is is the word used to communicate the, the entirety of the inner person. It's usually translated heart. This is, this is the seat of, of all human emotions, feelings, and, and intellect. The best way to understand this in our passage, in its context, is as the intellect, which is explained by the idea of remembering back in verse 20. understand this, knowledge drives emotions, feelings, and actions. What is placed into one's mind is the root cause of what takes place in one's life. This is why we emphasize over and over and over again the importance of thinking biblically. The importance of processing things according to the standard that is the Word of God. See, your mind is the control panel to the entire operating system of your life. What you think upon influences you. It directs you. It sways you. Proverbs 4.23 says that out of the heart... That's the same word used for mind in our text. Flows the issues of life. The mind is the center of the person and what goes into it, what fills it, determines one's life. Romans 12.2 says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And what Jeremiah is saying is that what he has chosen to think upon has given him hope in the midst of the dire circumstances of his life. What you choose to fill your mind with will influence your attitude, your words, your actions, and your overall approach to life. When you are in the midst of a dreadful situation, as we find ourselves in in this very moment, what do you turn to? What do you fill your mind with? What or who do you think upon? What do you turn to for hope in the midst of crisis? That matters. It matters how you answer that question. And Jeremiah explains that that in the midst of the issues of life, 
that there is only one person to fix our minds upon. That there's only one person who is perfect. There's only one person who is merciful. There's only one person who is truly loving. And there is only one person who is absolutely faithful. He is the God of the universe. He is the God who has lovingly sent his son to demonstrate his mercy and his faithfulness. And he is the God who has brought this affliction upon the prophet for the purpose, don't miss this, for the purpose of revealing his enduring faithfulness to him. Yahweh is a covenant name for God. This name expresses his complete holiness and faithfulness. It is Yahweh who is the God who will deliver this hope to the afflicted prophet. It is Yahweh and his faithfulness who is to be thought upon and meditated upon in order to, to bring biblical hope in your life. Even in this moment. So, what exactly does the prophet think upon and consider? And what should we think upon and consider concerning the attributes of God's faithfulness? Why? Does Jeremiah cry out, great is your faithfulness. As he's sitting on a hill looking at the devastation of his nation. Why? What drives him to be able to cry out, great is your faithfulness. These questions bring us to the third action that we must embrace in light of God's faithfulness. And that is this. We must remember the love and faithfulness of God. We must remember the love and faithfulness of God. What does Jeremiah set his mind upon in the face of this tragedy? He sets his mind upon remembering the love and the faithfulness of God. Why does his mind go here? Why is this the direction of his mind? Because this is the only true stability that provides genuine hope in this life. Friends, this this is the only place. The love and the faithfulness of God is the only place you can go to stabilize your thoughts and your emotions and your motivations when your world is shattering around you. This is the only place you can go. And this is where we must direct our minds tonight. There is no falsehood in God. He is true. Therefore, he is completely reliable. And he is accurate in all of his words, in all of his deeds. Listen to a few of these passages that describe the the different outworking of this Perfection of faithfulness. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, 
nor a son of man that he should repent? Has he said and he will not, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 33, 4. <clears throat> For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 36, 5. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Psalm 18, 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man and God is faithful who will not let you allow to be tempted beyond what you are able with that temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. <coughs> now as you look back, your text at verse 22, you see there are two aspects of Yahweh's faithfulness that he describes. First, we see his loving kindnesses. His loving kindnesses. This is the Hebrew word hesed, which you've been exposed to. Although it is generally <clears throat> translated in our English Bibles as loving kindness, the best understanding of this word is that it is Yahweh's covenant love for his people. This love is not based on anything Israel did or on anything Israel was. Rather, this love is the choice of Yahweh alone, and it is enduring and it is completely faithful. This love. <coughs> you'll see if I survive. This love is rooted in the character of God. However, this word here in verse 22 is, is in the plural. And it depicts aspects of, of this covenant love that Jeremiah is recalling to his mind. Jeremiah remembers that God has been faithful to his people <clears throat> to always preserve a remnant, even in the midst of judgment. He remembers that Yahweh protected them from complete destruction, even in the midst of their idolatry. He remembers that Yahweh made a covenant with his forefathers concerning the preservation of his chosen people. He remembers God's mercy upon his very life, even preserving him from physical death at the hands of his adversaries. Remnants, tidbits, pieces of God's loyal love kind of sprinkling down, raining down upon Jeremiah's life. This word is also translated mercies, which depict the aspect of covenant love that withholds judgment even when it is deserved. Yahweh should have wiped out this people, 
But in his mercy, he sent them into captivity to bring about repentance and correction for the purpose of restoring his remnant. This covenant love in all of its aspects, the text says, never ceases. says it is eternal. It, it carries with it a promise from Almighty God. This idea of never ceasing also extends to his people not being consumed. Our eternal destiny is secured in the mercy of God, in the hesed of God. This covenant love extends to us as as the church because it is in God's character and because it is in his nature. We have been chosen for salvation from before the foundation of the world. We have been granted salvation in Jesus Christ, and that is all because of God's loving kindness and because of God's mercy. And it will never cease. And because it never ceases, we will never be consumed. The second part of God's faithfulness that Jeremiah is reflecting upon is the fact that his his compassions never fail. So important for us to understand that. Our God is infinitely compassionate. The idea in the original here for this word translated compassions is the idea of tender love. This is the type of tender love that a mother has for her unborn child. She is going to do everything she can to protect that child both in the womb and then when it is born and she is going to nurture him and she is going to be tender towards him. This word is also an affectionate love that displays itself in terms of of pitying and and showing kindness and blessing toward another person. This is the tender affection that a man shows to his wife. You see, Yahweh, our God, pities his people in their distress. And he shows kindness and affection to them because It is a part of his faithfulness, and that faithfulness is rooted in his character. And by the way, this pity, this kindness, this affection never fails. God is completely committed to his people who belong to him. You know, we can only speculate how Yahweh expressed that to Jeremiah throughout the course of his ministry, but we know he did because this, along with his covenant love, are what Jeremiah set his mind upon in the midst of distress to bring hope to his soul and cause him to endure for the glory of God. (coughs) Jeremiah (coughs) filled his mind with the truth of God's faithfulness, with the truth of his of his mercies and his compassions. Notice this love and kindness there in verse 23. They are renewed every morning. Every day we wake up on this earth as children of God, we experience a renewed and refreshed expression of the mercies of God in our lives. 
and you woke up this morning, it was a renewed expression of God's mercy to you. And if the Lord wills, you wake up tomorrow morning, it is a renewed expression of his love for you. Even when your circumstances don't line up, even when our world has been turned upside down, and we're struggling to find which way is up again, Friends, we can be assured that God is faithfully loving us with an endless love and an irresistible kindness. This is also true this evening. If you have been living in sin and have repented, now you stand forgiven based on the faithfulness of God realized in the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can move forward each day in continual dependence upon the mercy of God in your life. He continually refreshes us morning after morning with His mercy and His hope. It's the eternal non-consuming love of God and His kindness and affection That is what should consume our minds. Because if you are a believer and you are sitting here in Christ this evening, he has and is expressing that non-consuming, non-ending love to you right now. You might be blinded by sin and pride and not seeing those things, but every breath that he gives you in the very fact that you are not under his eternal wrath, but headed to eternity with him. These are all evidences of this in your life. And if we, like the prophet, can see our pride and repent from it and fall in complete humility and dependence upon our knees before Yahweh and fill our minds with the unending faithfulness of his character, we too cry out in the midst of affliction and hardship and disappointment, devastation and even complete and utter disaster. Great is your faithfulness. This brings us then to the final action we must embrace to set our minds properly upon the Lord. And that's seen in verse 24, and it is this, to revere God as the all-satisfying portion. To revere God as the all-satisfying portion. You see that in verse 24. The Lord, Yahweh, is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. The same refrain that we find in verse 21. See, after remembering and thinking and meditating upon the faithfulness of Yahweh's character, the prophet's soul is full because the Lord is his portion and his inheritance. And friends, regardless of what's going on in your soul right now, what's going on in your your mind, what's going on in your thoughts, regardless of the emotions that are 
perhaps even running amok. Ultimately, remembering and meditating upon the faithfulness of Yahweh's character and realizing that He is His portion, that He is your portion, it's that simple. God must be your portion. That is to say that God must be your contentment. He must be your hope. He must be your fulfillment. He must be your sufficiency. He must. One author explains God as our portion like this. He says, a full and complete expression of all that his relationship with God guarantees him. See, when you are filled with the person of God, his character and the demonstration of that character, your mind will not be set on whatever difficulty is going on in your life, but rather it will be set upon God and his goodness and his faithfulness. This is This is preaching the truth to ourselves. This is directing our thoughts rather than being led by our thoughts. And that's where you and I need to be. This will bring hope. This is the promise of God to set your mind upon God and his faithfulness. To recall the many ways in which He has been faithful to you throughout your Christian life to know that he has a purpose in all of this, even in the darkest tragedy. And that purpose is good. Listen, it's good to, it's good to remember this. We hold fast to the sovereignty of God. We do. There was... There was another direction I was thinking about going tonight. Honestly, there are several directions I could have gone tonight, and this is where I landed. But, but we could have spent time just really honing in on the, on the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God, and that's another message for another time. But when we think about the sovereignty of God, it's important to understand two realities concerning the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> First of all, God is sovereign and we can trust him. And everything he wants us to know concerning his sovereignty and concerning who he is, he's revealed to us in his word. Everything he wants us to know. But friends, there is another element to our magnificent sovereign God. There are things God has not revealed to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. And we look at a situation like this with Jonathan. And we try and wrap our minds around the fact that so somehow God is sovereign. Somehow this fits into his plan. Listen, your mind can start swirling, going round and round. You need to accept the fact that God is working out his plan for his glory and for the good of his people even when we have no idea how he's doing that. And what we have to focus our hearts on, what we have to focus our attention on, is not trying to somehow get into that plan. (laughs) Somehow discover the secret things of the Lord. That's not what God has called us to do. God 
has called us to discover what he has revealed to us. And he has promised that everything he has revealed to us in his word is sufficient for life and godliness. And so as we fill our minds with the faithfulness of God and the love of God, it is because that is what the Bible has revealed about our God. And he has promised that that is sufficient. And we have to trust that. We have to trust him. Fill your mind with the promises contained in his word. For believers, and your hope will be secure in that. His unending love and unending faithfulness, when it is reflected upon, when it is meditated on, meditated upon, when it is rehearsed over and over in your minds because you are submersing yourself in the truth of the word of God. When you do that, will bring you hope. And that hope is sure and it is anchored in the character of God. It's not some wishful thinking. It's not some flimsy hope. This is a sure, anchored, steadfast hope that is reliable. As reliable as God is in himself, so is that hope. As we close, let me challenge you with a few things. Again, so many directions could even go here, but let me challenge, first of all, listen, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and you're not a believer, you you don't understand the hope that we've talked about, that we're saying is reliable, that you're not quite sure about the faithfulness of God, and you've never come to him on his terms through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then there is only one response for you. Yep, your heart is probably shook by the news, but if you're simply shook by the news and you leave here without Christ... You're hopeless. You need to turn from your sin and believe upon Christ for salvation. He died to satisfy the Father's wrath against sin, and by coming to Him, you can be assured that the payment of your sin has been satisfied. So I urge you, if you're here tonight, and you are without Christ, living in a hopeless state, then turn to Him. He will be your all-satisfying portion. He will forgive your sin. He will put you on the path to heaven. He will take your burden of sin upon himself. Come to me all. You are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You must repent, must believe upon Christ, his person and his work, fully committing yourself to him as Lord. You do that, you will be saved. And friends, that's the only way you'll ever experience the faithfulness that we've talked about this evening. That's the only way you'll ever be able to process news like this correctly is if your soul is grounded in Christ. 
If you don't understand, if you don't, you need to understand that the only side of God's eternal faithfulness that you will experience is his faithful justice and wrath. Because God is perfectly holy, he must be faithful to deal with sin. And that dealing with sin is done in one of two ways. Either it is dealt with in Christ through his perfect sacrifice on the cross, or it's dealt with by punishing the sinner in hell separate from God for all of eternity. And this is, yes, a message about hope. But if you're without Christ, you have no hope. And so you must understand these truths. Throw yourself at the mercy of God tonight and respond to him by turning from your sin and embracing Christ as Lord. There's no better time. Secondly, for those of you who do know Christ, and that is many of you in this room, this is where our minds must be fixated. This truth that we've seen in this text is what we must meditate on. And you must believe the truth that God will sustain his children. He's going to give the Wests the ability to continue to put one front in front of the other. And he's going to give you and I that ability as well. And he invites you to rest in his sovereign goodness because he is faithful and abounding in mercy. This is what we must do. We can grieve. And we should grieve. We should weep with those that weep. not as those who don't have hope. We have hope in Christ, our faithful, covenant-keeping God who is working out his plan for our good and for his glory. Rest in him. He alone will provide the hope that is necessary deal with